Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel to Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and Fallen First Responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. With me now, the indefatigable, the formidable, the one and only Raheem Kassam. He is the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse and the host of the Raheem Kassam podcast, a man whose knowledge and talents spans from global affairs all the way down to the proper way to tie a Windsor knot. Mr. Raheem Kassam, good to have you on, sir. What an introduction, and and not least because you know from a from a very arcane perspective, indefatigable is how uh, the British parliamentarian George Galloway of the far left once described Saddam Hussein. So I'm I'm delighted. <laughs> I think the word existed and was used in many other contexts for a long time. <laughs> like, isn't there like an HMS indefatigable, or maybe I'm, it's a long one? So maybe that's a bit. <laughs> probably too long to to uh, paint on the side of, of a of a boat of a battleship but uh, Raheem you know we, we've been doing these conversations and the audience response has been great because we're just getting really interesting people on to talk about whatever is is top of mind so one way I like I like to start is just to get you to tell me right now what in the world of politics we're going to cover a whole range of things here what in the world of politics gets you the most fired up like what are you focused on I, I don't know about focus. Um, uh, that's a word that escapes me. I'm, I'm kind of a scatterbrain in politics. Um, I, I, it's like books as well. I, I'm reading 50 at a time and I never finish any of them. Um, but something that has occurred to me, you know, th there are several things that have occurred to me a lot recently, especially in, on, in, you know, with the Biden classified documents thing going on in the background, uh, is that... Is the, like I, I still can't put my finger on who got Biden elected, right? And that and that bothers me as a as a as a point. Like when you look at Trump, people say Bannon. You look at Obama, people say Jim Messiner and David Plouffe and David Axelrod, uh, Bush, Karl Rove. But there isn't one in Biden world, and I. That bothers me because of you know so many different things, so many different big question marks that were over the 2020 election in general. But for there not to be somebody out there doing TED talks and and being on the front cover of Time magazine, being called the you know the man who got the most votes for a presidential candidate in American history is a pretty big thing that you want to claim and 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 uh, you know a big big medallion that you want to wear around your neck. But nobody seems to want to claim it. And that bothers me. Yeah, well, there's certainly something going on right now with 
his chief of staff is on the way out. There, there have just been uh, news reports about that, uh, that you're not going to have Ron Klain anymore because people have been, it's really, I think, an, an addendum in many ways to your, uh, to, to your point here, which is not only who's, respe- who's responsible for getting him elected, but who is the person who's really calling the shots, who's really running things you know, behind the scenes. A lot of people have said Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff. Now, White House chief of staff, depending on who it is, I think can matter a lot or a little for an administration. Uh, does anyone even really remember the Trump White House chiefs of staff? I, I don't think that, you know, no one's saying, oh, my gosh, the days of Reince Priebus and, uh, <laughs> and the, the, you know, the guy with the Irish name who was, <laughs> you know, John o- Kelly. O- OMB. Yeah. Uh, OMB budget guy before that. Um, but he, so you have Klain on the way out. And this guy, Zeintz, I'm not sure how to say his name even, uh, who was the COVID yeah. czar that we never heard about, really. He's going to be taking over. So who actually calls the shots for Biden as he's leaving all the classified all over the place and looking like he's constantly confused? Barack Obama and Susan Rice. I mean, that, that, that's kind of one of the least well-kept secrets here in Washington, D.C., is that most of most of what this regime is currently doing comes from uh, his previous boss. Uh, that that I, I think you know, and Susan Rice was one of the names that was floated. Now they're saying it's going to be Jeff Zients. Jeff Zients, by the way, uh, an important character to note, not just because of his his you know World Economic Forum billionaire credentials, uh, but also because of, as you say, this this COVID czar. Who, who was a COVID czar, but really quietly. And you have to understand, at this point in time, in 2023, the United States is still one of the only countries in the world that doesn't allow non-citizens in if they're not vaccinated. So Zainz is still doing the bidding of big COVID behind the scenes um, very quietly. And the fact that he's being elevated now to this, this prestige position in American politics is honestly, it's like a it's like a pattern on the back and a thank you for continuing to do that on behalf of you know big pharma big government whatever you want to you know whatever you want to you know daub the right. the apparatus I, I mean, sh- at any he, given time in a rational reasonable world raheem shouldn't the guy who was the covid czar who said that a winter of death was coming for anybody who didn't get vaccinated that's a quote uh that you were going to overrun the hospitals if you didn't get vaccinated these were things that he was saying in 2021 uh, going into the winter period you would think that he should not only be fired, but honestly shamed and 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 removed ignominiously from the public square. And yet he's now White House chief of staff. It's a promotion, which I think says a lot about how the Democrat apparatus views COVID even at this stage. Yeah, but I'll go you one further. I mean, you know, again, as I say, this is a this is a slap on the back for him. Well done, old boy, um, for, for, for doing that. But it is it's worse than that, right? In, in any rational world, you said in any rational world. Well, in any rational world, the, the person who put together the original COVID task force should be susceptible to class action lawsuits from all the people who lost their businesses, all the people who lost their yeah. loved ones as a result of all of that. And that person was Mike Pence. So, you know, there's blame to go around on all sides uh, on, on this, especially for those who got the ball rolling um, at, the, at that, uh, you know, the opening days of COVID. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, and Jeff Zients, just just to conclude yeah. on the Jeff Zients point, you know, this for him is is very much an opportunity to take that kind of totalitarian mindset um, and run the Oval Office with it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like they got their their trial run of communism. And now they're saying, oh, you're ready for the the big leagues of uh, of being a commie at the highest level. Yeah. Um, uh, Raheem, you, you mentioned the Trump or rather Pence, the Trump administration and covid. Yeah. Um, I really I really want to dive into your feelings about where Trump is right now and, and that whole conversation. Um, I you have very interesting views on this. And I want to get into that uh, in a second. But first, my friends, if you've ever had one of American Giants incredibly comfortable hoodies, you've if you've ever tried one, touch one, put one on, you know, they're the highest possible quality. I'm all about comfort, as you know, comfortable feet, comfortable clothing. Raheem might not always approve because, you know, sometimes you have to celebrate uh, fashion over comfort. But I'm all about both. And that's what you get with American Giant. American Giant's classic full zip hoodie is Phenomenal. Their newest one, the Relax Fit Hoodie, is perfectly crafted for the days you get to work from home or you just want to be super comfortable. I've got my American Giant hoodie at home. Raheem, I'm going to get you hooked up with one, too, because they're amazing. Uh, American Giant makes everything in the USA. They obsess over every detail in the construction and assembly. And they've got more than just hoodies, by the way. Flannels, super soft and comfortable. Sweaters, joggers, tanks, sweatpants, and everyday denim. Revamp your wardrobe this year with the Relax Classic Full Zip Hoodie at American-Giant.com. Get yourself 20% off when you use my name, Buck, at checkout. So go to American-Giant.com. Use my name, Buck, as the promo code. You'll get 20% off. You're going to love this gear. It's so comfortable. Even the stylish Raheem Kassam is going to be a fan when I get him some. Now, my friend, on the Trump on the Trump issue, uh, do you think that Trump is running into a, a real problem here with his base, with his people, his voters, with the continued discussion of how great Operation Warp Speed is? I mean, I heard him recently say that the vaccine saved hundreds of millions of lives. I have been a huge Trump supporter. I like the guy very much personally. I think he did phenomenal things for our country as president. The vaccine did not save hundreds of millions of lives. So how, how do we deal with this? What, what's going on? Yeah, so typically there has been one critical area where, you know, even Trump, even the, the, the most ardent Trump supporters will say, okay, he has, a, he has a blind spot on that. But given that it's, you know, his only massive blind spot, we're willing to, to not overlook it, but at least, at least forgive elements of it. And that was personnel, right? The personnel choices uh, that both the Trump administration made and the Trump operation as it has been uh, since after its presidency remain curious to a lot of people and again most people understand that when they when they choose somebody when they go to bat for somebody when they put their eggs in the basket of of a presidential candidate that that they're not looking for perfection that they're willing to say you know no man is perfect no woman is perfect no candidate will therefore be perfect um but in doing what he's been doing over the last you know, a couple of years now, as it regards uh, the the big pharma vaccines, he's he's opening up an unnecessary second uh, weak spot as far as his base is concerned, and there are there are major complaints about it now. I do think, however, that a lot of people are overestimating what that impact is. And I think especially a lot of people who want other candidates to be the president, uh, Republican president next time around, are, are certainly overestimating the impact of that. But you're right to say that I don't think it's doing Trump uh, any good at all. And it is, in fact, putting off some of his supporters. 
The, the important part of this actually is what Ron DeSantis himself did, uh, since I alluded to it, I'll, I'll say it, um, which is a course correction. And there's no reason that Donald Trump can't make a course correction on this as well. Early days of, of, of COVID, um, the governor of Florida was doing very similar things to a lot of the other governors, but, but with, with you know, the end of the 30 days to slow the spread, as a lot of the rest of us did, and I hold my hand up and say, myself included here, uh, we course corrected, right? We realized what this thing was yeah. being used for. We realized that, you know, w European countries may want to do this. The Chinese may certainly want to do this. But frankly, it's not the American way. Um, and, and, you know, RDS, to his credit, course corrected. People with um, any level of, uh, of I might vote Trump next time around will still forgive him if he course corrects on this. And he's going to have to. We all know he's going to. We all know he's going to turn around at some point and say, look, I did what I was told was the, was in the interest of the public. It was the time when my administration came together the best. We delivered the things that were expected to be delivered of us, even though people said we weren't able to do it. We then saw collusion even between the health industry and pharmaceutical lobby to delay the rollout of the vaccine itself. And yet I still get no credit. Well, you know, th that's all well and good, but he's going to come out. He's going to have to come out. And I think he will come out at some point and say, you know what? I was tricked just like the rest of you. Where do you come down at this point on the looming showdown that you know everyone is expecting Trump and DeSantis in a primary? Now, I know Tr Trump has announced DeSantis has not. Who knows? I I'm a big proponent of saying nobody can predict the future. And all you have to do is look back at people's predictions and you know that nobody can predict the future. They can get it right. They can get binaries, meaning a yes or no or, you know, A or B right about 50 percent of the time, which makes sense. Right. <laughs> People will get it. Um, as often as they don't when they're trying to predict events for the most part uh, that all said with all that throat clearing in place are you already determined that it's one or the other in terms of what you think is best for the republican party or are you in wait and see mode yeah i i feel like the zen master <laughs> you know it's that it's that moment from um Charlie Wilson's war, you know, the Zen master says, we'll see, we'll see. But, but I, you know, the, the, the foundation is clearly obviously there uh, for, for Ron DeSantis. It's there amongst the people around him. It's there amongst the donor class uh, that have clearly said that they're on his side. It's there in terms of a, a level of the grassroots support now who say they want him to run. It's, it's, it's visible to me that everything that you would want in place for a presidential run, uh, Ron DeSantis has seems to have in place. Whether or not that's of his doing um, is is another concern. Uh, th there are. I I'm I'm currently reading a book by Ron DeSantis. Not many people have have read it or or even know that he he wrote a book, but he did. Um, this was before he was a public figure at all, really, and um, it was during the Obama administration. And he he he. It goes into quite a lot of detail about constitutional law, the founders, the Federalist Papers, and it's it's so clear that he's a genuinely like brilliant constitutional mind. Um, the 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 writing is excellent for somebody who hadn't written a book before. The the framing is excellent. The 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 the, the points he makes throughout the book a point are not talking points. Um, it you know, and I remember once interviewing him back in I think it was 2015 or 16. And, and saying to him at the time, look, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I think you've got it. You know, the look, the family, um, the experience, the, 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 the awards in the military, so on and so forth. The problem I have here um, is, is, is almost like Trump as well, is the people around him. 
Um, I'm not sure that Ron DeSantis has a, a team around him that a lot of people will find palatable. He certainly doesn't have a lot of donors, big donors that a lot of people will find palatable. And so uh, uh, when I said in the last conversation that we were having on the last topic about what can be forgiven and what and, and what can't be, I, I think a lot of Republicans will err on the side if it's between Trump and DeSantis with better the devil you know than the devil you know, than the devil you don't. And they'll also be asking a lot of questions about, well, you know, who is advising him on foreign policy? He's, he's saber-rattled a lot on the Middle East and Iran and Israel and all of these things. Is he going to be another Bush? Um, he will have as many questions to answer on those debate stages as Donald Trump will. And, and I think people should rejoice about that. I think the, the Republican base deserves a full and, and rough and hard and difficult primary. Because for two reasons, not just because it, it allows for those arguments to be had and those what might seem to be sort of niche issues to come out, but also it trains that person up, whoever you know becomes the nominee, it trains them up for the bigger occasions, the presidential debates, the campaign itself. And I think if Trump lacked anything last time in his campaign, it was that he didn't go through a primary, right? He didn't get to warm up before the big fight. Yeah, and if you're a boxer, if you're in any sport, really, you don't want to go out there for the championship and not have actually done your thing for weeks or even even months beforehand. So I can see, I, I think you're right, by the way, that it's a, almost a, a stone upon which the blade can be sharpened uh, for any politician. But on our side, we're certainly going to need that, given the media reality that we're up against. I want to ask you about um, the royal family, Raheem, which I will do in just a second. In case anyone couldn't figure it out from his accent, which I know many of us are jealous of because it is super fancy and adds a level of gravitas to everything that he says. Raheem is from the United Kingdom, and I have some questions about this. There's this book out there's an obsession in the media with the author of this book. And what is this whole thing with monarchy? We're going to talk about it in a second. But, you know, there are data breaches that are happening all the time. And the big ones can be huge, like 200 million email addresses that got out there from a Twitter hack. It ends up on the dark web. And then your personal information can be used by cyber thieves. See, the cyber hackers get it. And the cyber thieves buy it, take it, find it on the dark web, pay for it in Bitcoin, whatever they do. And then they take out loans or credit cards in your name. This happens all the time. And unless you have somebody watching your back, you may not find out about it until it's too late. That's why you need LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Because as often as your personal info gets exposed, LifeLock has a 24-7 watch on online transactions and new account openings. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats you may not spot on your own, like loans taken out in your name. If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all, at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. I've relied on them for years, and I've actually had to work with a restoration specialist. It's really helpful when you need one. Join now. Save up to 25% off your first year with promo code BUCK. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK if you want to use the phone, or go online to LifeLock.com and use my name, promo code BUCK, for 25% off. LifeLock.com, promo code BUCK. All right, Raheem. I don't know where you are on this. You could be a big fan of the monarchy. You could be like, I just think to myself, I don't understand how anyone can see this as as anything other than, I don't know. I, I view it as, as entirely r ridiculous. Why, why do people care so much, uh, both in the UK and here at home, about, say, 
the spare Prince Harry biography and the Meghan Markle back and forth, all this stuff. I look at this and I'm like, these are these are celebrities, basically like this. I might as well be watching, you know, the latest uh, on the Kardashians, you know, who they're dating or something. I just don't care. Am I missing something? Please explain to me because you actually come from Great Britain. Go ahead. Well, I do. And I actually come from a, a historic county called Middlesex. And um, I just saw that your your American giant hoodies are made in Middlesex, North Carolina. So Look we have a we have a link there. Well, done. Um, I um, I am a monarchist. Uh, and, and, and I'm a proud one. I, I believe in the institution of monarchy. I believe in having a part of your government being there for the long haul and therefore having the nation's interests at heart rather than re-election uh, or fundraising or anything like that at heart. I, I don't believe in a, in a t- tyrannical or, or dictatorship. I don't believe in, a, in, a, in a, a, you know, vast amounts of executive authority being vested uh, in the crown. But there is a difference. There is a difference between the crown, right, the monarchy as an institution, and the royal family. The royal family, like you say, can become very much like watching reality television, and, and, and the tabloid papers love to make it that, right? Um, the, the Meghan Markle is really the reason that we're having this conversation here, and I'll remind you where she comes from, and it is not the United Kingdom. So 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 thank you for that. And, of course, the last big uh, blow-up that we had, uh, really, I mean, our, uh, you know, if you exclude Diana from it uh, in and of herself, was, um, you know, Wallace Simpson, another American who got embroiled in the royal family and caused the king to abdicate, wow. in fact. This is so, amazing, Raheem so, Kassam, blaming America for the British royal family's <laughs> mess-ups. Look at listen, this. I, I will take responsibility for Christopher Steele if you take responsibility for Meghan Markle. That's all I'm saying, right? Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. But so you think that there now, is a role for it? Oh, massive. I mean, massive. Uh, I mean, this is... This is you asked me what, you know, what really sort of is bugging me politically at the moment and, and maybe even keeping me up at night a little bit. It is the incoming constitutional vandalism that we are about to see because the Labour Party, which is which is our left-wing party in the United Kingdom, looks like it's going to take the reins of government next time around after there is an election. And they have promised to abolish the House of Lords. That is our upper chamber. Um, they will replace it with an elected Senate. And my position on this is that you what is the point of bicamerality right two chambers in your congress parliament whatever if they're both chosen in the same way i think you guys had a constitutional amendment that 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 reflected with number 17 or something like that 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 changed the nature of what your set how your senate was chosen and it basically ruined the senate uh, the senate was never supposed to be just another democratic body full of politicians um, and they're going to do that to our house of lords so here's the thing so we're going to have two you know, democratic chambers in our parliament. The the executive branch in the United Kingdom is also chosen from the parliament. And then you're basically saying there shouldn't be a monarchy either. So at that point, you've got a tyranny of the majority system. It doesn't work. There has to be something more than just politicians who push that stuff around. Right. And it's really interesting to me because Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, who is the leader of the Labour Party right now, who will become the prime minister if the polls remain the same, uh, went to Davos went to the World Economic Forum and he was asked by a, a reporter, Emily Maitlis, if you had to choose between Westminster and Davos, which would it be? And he said, Davos. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That he is the one that's charging headfirst with constitutional vandalism and at the same time, he thinks the unelected 
other way to get things done. It doesn't. It doesn't hold. The argument doesn't hold. And so I think you do need somebody um, who has the long-term interest of the nation at heart. So even if they don't have real power, right? Like it's a symbolism that's supposed to be. They, they did, I, well, I don't even know what power. authority is still vested in the monarch. Well, the the the, the very um, it's interesting because in my book Enoch was right. I, I I talk about this right in 1948 when the Canadians effectively uh, created their own form of nationality and said we're not subjects anymore. We have Canadian citizenship. It, it changed everything for the entire British Empire, and so we went from subjects to citizens within the same period of time. But but what are you citizens of? Is the question because of course we have England. We have Wales, we have Northern Ireland, we have Scotland. Uh, several of those make up Great Britain. Several more of those together make up the United Kingdom. You know, we have this kind of grand union of different, you know, countries and entities that voluntarily come together, much like your states, right? And they say, okay, we are going to vest our power in the nation. But what is the nation? Well, the nation has to be more than the sum of its politicians, right? It can't just be uh, some some texts that are scribbled down because, you know, you have a constitution. Remember, we don't have a written constitution. We have an evolving constitution, right? Our primary law is our constitution. It's 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 It gets very complicated, but it's not dull. I, I assure you that. Uh, I know a lot of people get, get sort of think, oh, you know, what do I know about constitutional, you know, import and all of this stuff as it relates to politics? It's everything. If you don't understand the way your country works, then you can't really complain about how it works. And at the end of all of the uh, all of the questions that are raised about what makes Britain Britain is the crown, because the crown is the connection between the nation and God. That's why, as you'll see when Charles is um, crowned formally, that they will touch his head with anointing oil. And that right. is the head, head of the Church of England, right? Isn't isn't the crown that the head of the Church of England technically? That's that's how this and goes. And that is what signifies right. which that I it think, is not uh, the man <laughs> that really has the power. I, it is I think, God uh, that has the power. I think Hitchens Hitchens, who is just a poor man's Raheem Kassam, Christopher Hitchens used <laughs> to say uh, that yes, the Church of England built on the family values of Henry the Eighth, <laughs> which I think is pretty funny. But anyway, it was a Hitchens line. Um, but yes, uh, back to back to the crown. I'm not, by the way, I'm not sure that Christopher Hitchens can 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 uh, wax moral um, about anybody else's exploits. Well, he's certainly not here anymore to defend himself. So there's that. Um, <laughs> but but tell me this. Uh, uh, well, I, I was actually going to ask you something kind of silly for a second, just to take us in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you watch the crown uh, like ever? Because I try to fight it as long as I can, but. You know, you have a girlfriend. I have a fiance. The ladies love that show, man. I don't know. I, I I couldn't fight it off anymore. I was like, all right, fine, honey. We'll watch The Crown. And it's pretty engrossing for what it is. Yeah, actually, my girlfriend doesn't like The Crown. And mm. uh, I think because she's just like a, a very red-blooded American patriot and finds it all very stuffy and boring. Yeah. And, and, and We did fight a know, war. Irrelevant. Not that long ago, so we would pretty much never have to pay any attention to yeah. the British royal family ever again here. That is, that is the thing. So for Americans, this is what yeah. I ask you as a Brit, why do you care? As Americans, I, I do not want to hear it from people. It's bizarre the fixation they have with the, the British royal family. It makes no sense to me at all, but for British people, I understand. Um, so that's that's one error. So we've... we've well, well, look, I mean, 
the, the, the Crown is a good show. It's not particularly true to real life, but it's 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 very entertaining. The the interest in it, however, speaks to something broader. I think, and I know you're not going to like what I'm about to say, Uh-oh. but I do think Americans kind of miss something. They miss this this institution almost. I'm not saying that they want to be ruled from London, right? You maybe you want your own monarchy. Um, but People want but something that's asp- some- aspirational. And in a country where we have the founding fathers being torn down all the time, and there's, there, there, I, I think there yeah, is something... Look, we all love, like, I'm sh- there were, of course, there's British Republicans who want the, an end to the monarchy and so on and so forth. And that, and that is only unfortunately going to grow and grow with, with Charles at the helm. Um, but you know, everyone basically loved Her Majesty the Queen. They understood that her life was, yes, she gets to live in nice big palaces, but they understood that her life was really service. And I was Good. lucky enough to be able to go to Windsor Castle and pay my respects at her tomb recently. And, and, and we had, you know, as a nation, we could come together and celebrate um, that that person doing such great things. Um, I, I just offhand referred to her as as in terms of popularity, the Dolly Parton of the of the United Kingdom, <laughs> which, <laughs> which Clay thought was, he was like, "You're you're crazy. You're going to get so so bashed." Or at a turn, there was like a big uh, Tennessee newspaper that picked that up, or you know that they took that line. I don't know if they heard it from me or they just went with it. But she was she was like the Dolly Parton of the United Kingdom. Everybody loved her, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, okay, so, well, see, we so, had Vera Lynn during the during the Second World War. We had Vera Lynn, and Vera Lynn, people will know the song "We'll Meet Again." Um, and and actually, "We'll Meet Again" was one of the last songs that was ever played on one of the Queen's uh, Christmas addresses. And so that I feel like Vera Lynn was kind of our Dolly Parton. I feel like the reason you don't have a, a, a comparison is because of, of of the very short term nature of both your politics and your celebrity life. And again, it's hard to explain because I understand that constitutionally you guys are averse to it, but but from an institutional perspective, a lot of a lot of Britons like myself so, look at it and go, "I'm so comforted by that." So this this turns this turns into the next. Uh, I think it's an easy way to, to transition into something that that to me is is related, and you can take this however you want, um, mm. which is, I remember I think it was actually Andrew Tate before he uh, was held in 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 uh, prison he has uk citizenship as well as uh, american citizenship i think he said that mm. england is a country that no longer stands for anything and that won't de- and that won't defend its values and is effectively in terminal decline as a society uh do you agree with that diagnosis and and i ask because as an american i think a lot of people look at canada look at the uk look at uh, australia i, I was Living in uh, now, I've never been there, and I don't profess to be an Australia expert. I thought it was kind of like the United Kingdom with nicer people and kangaroos. But turns out they're a bunch of socialists who will do whatever they're told and embrace authoritarianism, embrace the most insane COVID lunacy, and and that really worries me in a society that it can't actually be nimble and adapt to reality as it happens. That it could be overtaken by a mass hysteria. Same thing in Canada under Trudeau. Is the UK a country? And, and so we think that those places are just further ahead of America. You know, they're, they're warning signs of what we will turn into if we don't stand for certain values, freedom, liberty, individuality. Is the UK in terminal decline? What do you make of that? Serfdom. I mean, what you're talking about is serfdom, right? And it's, it's, it, it's the worst part of it is, is the, almost the choice 
to be a serf, to be a slave to your, to your government, your bureaucrats, your politicians, and forget that they are the ones who are either supposed to represent your interests or, or as you guys once did, uh, you know, they'll get tarred and feathered and, and, and tossed overboard. And, and serfdom is a very difficult thing in a world that is increasingly relativistic morally and is increasingly secularized because because government has become the religion you know in the united kingdom the national health service which is failing i mean failing uh, they're having to set up uh, temporary uh, morgues and mortuaries across the country simply because the national health service is killing people it is killing people by not showing up in time when ambulances are called it is killing people because it is is spending uh, uh, gargantuan sums of money you know the national health service's budget has doubled in the last, uh, uh, I think it's 10, 10 to 15 years, the health has doubled. Do you think we have seen um, commensurate rises in care as a result of that budget doubling? No, we haven't. We've actually seen a worsening in care over the last decade in the United Kingdom. And the National Health Service, you know, they, they call it the envy of the world. I have never met anybody anywhere in the world who envies our healthcare system. I've never met anybody anywhere in the world who looks at my teeth and goes, wow, that's wonderful. I want to use the dentist that you're using. And, and you know, we've, we've placed God with government in our societies. We've replaced, uh, you know, this, this, this appeal to something greater than us and greater than the, the, the little particularism, particularisms of the lives, the small little lives we lead um, with bureaucracy and the boring nature of the things that they tell us are moral, which are oftentimes wildly immoral things, right? I, I, I think of transgender, uh, you know, library drag queen hour or whatever they're calling it nowadays is one of the great examples of what is being deified so so it's like a bathtub right where where we know that we have to keep that tub full of of warm water that 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 cleanses us that nourishes us uh that protects us that keeps us warm Uh, meanwhile our davos elite are constantly pulling the plug and we're just constantly trying to trying to plug that hole with with all manner of things brexit is a good example of that right that that was the united kingdom's electorate slamming their hand on the drain and saying whoa 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 we need our own you know system of government to keep us independent to keep us sovereign to keep us safe and and to hold our belief in something yeah. but the problem with that is sorry i know i'm, I'm I, I just no it's all right i just want to ask you a brexit because you were very close to it and know nigel and so i want to put a pin in that but keep going but just in conclusion of all of that point you know you ask about terminal decline it's not that it's not that we the people of any of these Western countries necessarily believe in the terminal decline of our nations. Yes, of course, some silly Marxists, uh, you know, have bought into it, but they, we can overcome those people. We are stronger than them in very many ways. But, but it's that every time we get anywhere close to not just stopping that, but actually turning the taps on and refilling the bathtub, it's the, it's the you know, we call them the Davos elite today, it's it's Davos one day, it's Brussels another, it's Capitol Hill another. All of those people and all of those institutions are still just tugging away at that at that drain. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now you did That's have a decline. particular, right, right. You did have a particular view of Brexit. Uh, somebody who you were on Nigel Farage's staff. You know Nigel very well. You, you know the Brexiteers personally uh, and, and, and in, a, in a close way. We were told, I mean, if you were somebody who was reading, you know, The Economist or the editorial page of The New York Times, that Brexit was going to lead to calamity, right? I'm not sure if it was going to be that all the Brits would be starving, but, you know, bad things were going to happen from it. And then it was madness. What has been the report card since Brexit? I mean, what has gone on? How would you view it now that some years have passed since that event that seemed to shock the international elites and create this moment of maybe we're not all going to be taking orders from bureaucrats in Brussels, actually. Now, this is, this is where it gets really interesting, because I talked earlier about how Keir Starmer wants to replace the House of Lords with, with a Senate. Well, why does he really want to do that? Because what he intends to do is pass primary legislation in the House of Commons to rejoin the European Union, and he knows it will be easier to pass in an elected Senate to rejoin the European Union than it would pass through the House of Lords in our current constitutional format. So, so right now, in the British press, on, on an almost daily basis, and I go through it on an almost daily basis, well, no, I go through it on a daily basis, um, you see... You know, when are we going to rejoin the EU? Should Britain rejoin the EU? Brexit is least, you know, less popular than ever before. And as the older generation that that predominantly voted for Brexit um, is dying out, unfortunately, and as the Conservative Party, Conservative Party continues to govern as a centre-left party, um, Brexit is being watered down. It is being neutralised. Uh, there, are, there are all sorts of things that are blamed nowadays on Brexit that, that have nothing to do with Brexit, but the British public sort of looks at it and they're told it by the Sun newspaper and the Times newspaper and the Murdoch press and, and, and Sky News and the BBC, and they're told it and they go, oh yeah, I guess it must have been Brexit. What a bad idea. So... I think, unfortunately, we're looking at a campaign now to return to, to the European Union uh, within the next five years, and, and, and they may well win that campaign. Is Britain salvageable as a great country with a great tradition and a great people? Huh. Well, you, you, what you've described almost no longer exists. Uh, there is no one you know, one British people anymore. Uh, in a lot of ways, I am evidence of that. You know, my parents were... were uh, well, my father was born in Tanzania. My mother was born in India. My lineage goes back to India. Um, and, and a lot of people who are of my ilk uh, chose not to assimilate. And they chose not to, you know, have traditional British values. And they, they chose not to learn the language as, 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 as fluently as I did. And they chose um, to kind of not have, I wouldn't say like a dual loyalty, but certainly like a, a, a dualism, right, inside themselves that, that, the, I, you know, and I don't like this. I don't like. Well, can I just I mean, British so the American India. people, you know, the American people as one people exist. It's not about any racial, ethnic or religious identity. It's about your identity as an American bound by the Constitution and our culture, our shared right, history. But you, but you et cetera, guys do right? it, too. So. Right. So, so does the, do is the UK salvageable in as that or is it breaking apart? I'm leading up to that. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, sorry. I just, I like to flesh those things out. You know, and you, the reason I say that is because you do it too, right? African-American, uh, Asian-American, and everybody gets sort of segmented into these little identity groups. And we've done that as well. Um, unless there is a minister, a, 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 a real sort of philosopher king that comes along 
and and reminds the country that it is one country in a very Disraelian sense, right? One nation conservatism was was the longest running strain of conservative thought in the United Kingdom ever, uh, unless somebody comes along and reminds the general public of that and indeed forces them to believe in it, right? Like, I don't mean, I don't mean through, you know, coercion. I mean, through argument, uh, you know, gets them to believe in that goal. Then, then no, there isn't a United Kingdom anymore. And, and nor should we pretend that there will be. You, you cannot have a, a, a cohesive nation if everybody is taught that they are part of a different group um, than their next door neighbors. Is it more left wing as a country now in its totality than the U.S.? I mean, you have a means of comparison here. You know, one thing that I think people have recognized about Canada is if you take the most, uh, you know, beta male, low T Marxist leadership in America, that's actually much more common and much more powerful in the context of Canada and Trudeau and Trudeauism, right? So is that also true about the UK right now? Are they even are they more woke? I don't even know how much that term is used over there than we are here. Oh, it's used it's used way too much over there. And it's it's used in a really cringe way. So so they don't say like somebody goes, you know, woke in, in the UK. Woke is the is the adjective that describes the movement. So there'll be like editorials in the telegraph that says we must end woke you know as if that's like antifa ah. um and it, it it gets it gets on my nerves just from a from a from a linguistic perspective to answer your question i think governmentally bureaucratically we are far more of a left-wing country and you should look to us as a warning of how not to run your country culturally you know i've been here for for six years now culturally i think america is more left-wing People in the United Kingdom are more, you know, more inclined to say, okay, well, let's let's take a beat on that and, and think about that and think about its implications to our culture, to our neighbors, to our society. America seems every time somebody comes up with a, you know, a progressive new thing, seems to just slam its foot on the accelerator and go, yep, that's the new thing and that's what we're going for now, um, whether it's BLM or, or, or what have you or the transgender stuff. I mean, America, we have to, we have to accept this. America is the single largest exporter of cultural Marxism in the world today. And that is a, a deeply, deeply shocking thing. And of course, when you guys sneeze, we all catch a cold. That stuff is now in Britain. It is now in Australia. It is now in Canada. It is all across Europe. You know, the French actually have the lowest tolerance for this stuff uh, of, of almost any European nation. I mean, apart from the deeply social conservative nations like Poland and Hungary, the French look at American political culture as, as as they do most, as they do look at most things, American right. I was going to say, I don't think it's just air. our political culture, but yeah, they look at a lot of yeah, our but, stuff. But on this one, they're right. You know, on this thing, they're not just being French about it; they're actually being smart about it. Um, and so, you you got to know that when the French are right about something in critique of you, you've really got a problem. May we be in, sir? We'll come back with Raheem <laughs> here on a second. I want to ask you, what's the craziest thing that's happening in America today? So you can think about that one, Raheem, while I, while I remind everybody. By the way, do you sleep on my pillow? I because do. You should be. You do? Yeah, I figured. I do, too, because my pillow is amazing. Mike Lindell has built this incredible company that helps millions of Americans get the best night's sleep they've ever had. And the Giza Dream sheets, I sleep on those every night. I love them. Raheem loves them. 
They're phenomenal. The Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. Ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets are at the lowest price ever. Sheets coming in as low as $29.98 with promo code BUCK. All you have to do is go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special Square, and you'll get Giza Dream Sheets, a whole bunch of different colors and styles. $29.98 when you use promo code BUCK. Look, MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. You have so much to gain here, nothing to lose, and the good night's sleep you're going to get is worth it. The sheets are so soft, they're durable, you're going to love them. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square for the Giza Dream Sheets and a lot of other products with amazing deals when you use promo code BUCK, B-U-C-K. Craziest thing, and you can answer this however you want, Raheem, craziest thing happening in America today. The craziest thing happening in America, America today is that is that the right has not managed um, cultural hegemony yet. Like that is like yeah, I find that utterly, utterly baffling. To be honest with you, um, that that the, there is so much cultural rot and disease coming out of Hollywood in New York, as you know, yeah. um, and, 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 but that we haven't that we haven't really truly cut through that yet really embarrasses me um it speaks to our lack of creativity it speaks to our lack of um honestly for for people who regard themselves as i do and i don't i don't profess to speak for you in this regard but i regard myself as a populist for people who regard themselves as populists we're not very good at being popular in 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 the things that we promote culturally um so that's why this year um i'm pleased to say and and i think you may be getting the exclusive here on this right now um that the national pulse is going to be moving into that territory we are going to be moving into print magazine territory we are going to be moving into documentary territory um we are we are just wide Widening the scope of the things that we present um, to as many people as possible, because because I was reading this Michael Anton essay actually, uh, I think it was in uh, IM seventeen seventy six magazine, which is a great magazine, um, about about Tom Wolfe and about the 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 vacuums that he saw around him culturally and how he just he just chose to fill them, right? He just told the stories that he saw before him um, that he knew weren't being told anywhere else, bonfire of the vanities, so on and so forth. And we've got we've got real bonfires of the vanities going on in Washington, D.C. right now. We've got, we've got neighborhoods, predominantly black neighborhoods, by the way, which are being totally left to rack and ruin uh, by a black mayor of Washington, D.C. But nobody's telling those stories for the sake of history. Nobody's telling them for the sake of the next generation learning from the mistakes. And so that is the thing that really, really baffles me constantly. How, how we are not better at this yet. So, for example, because I think this comes up a lot on the right in the context of how is it that we thought the outcome here would be any different when we've been playing for this make-believe neutral space in a lot of institutions for a long time. And, and for example, even in classrooms, They'll say, oh, well, they're, you're pushing your you know, right-wing conservative values. Someone's values are going to be in the classroom. I think the right has at least woken up to that reality because of you know, transgender uh, drag queen story hour and all these things that have become, and, and CRT, which is explicitly, in many contexts, anti-white, explicitly racist in the way that it's presented in classrooms. Um, people have realized that there's not this, oh, we're just going to have neutral space. Neutral space, when you have a left wing that says that, you know, algebra and, and higher math class being taught is racist, you're going to, you have to address the battle as it is and not as you, as you wish it were. So there are some places, colleges, universities, for example, Raheem, that the 
the left will not allow there to be any who do not think like them. But given the creative areas, right? So, if, you know, if you're in the political science department at a lot of different universities, you're never going to get hired as an associate professor. You're never going to get tenure for sure if you're conservative. So they operate it like a country club that won't allow in the, you know, the undesirables, uh, the conservatives. In the creative side, though, why don't we have, you mentioned Tom Wolfe. By the way, Bonfire of the Vanities, one of my favorite novels of all time, took place in the Upper East Side where I grew up. And I read Tom Wolfe when I was in the eighth grade. I read that book in the eighth grade. Um, why don't we produce great novels? Why don't we have, it's amazing. People will say that show is conservative or people will say the Top Gun uh, Maverick is conservative. I say, it's not conservative. It's just a movie the way movies used to be. Entertaining, good guys, bad guys, and not a lot of radical political theory thrown in there. Can, why can't we, why aren't we capable, it seems, of doing more of that? Are we capable of doing more of that? Yeah, and it's like every single time that a, a left-wing celebrity or a journalist comes out on our side just a little bit, we all go nuts and hand them the football and say, right, you're, you're the quarterback now. You know, whether it's, whether it's uh, Barry Weiss or Ricky Gervais or, or Elon Musk or whatever, you know, we, we, we leave the people who have been fighting on our side and we hand the ball and the control of the game over to somebody very recently on our side. And then, and then when they when they turn on us or when they you know express that they weren't quite signed up for the entire thing then we go oh my goodness how Look, could some some of us happen? were warning about about the kanye situation before right. kanye went totally you know wacko right and 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 here's look here's a message to people who because it, it's germane to your question is is not you and I. I mean, we we do this on a daily basis, right? We are literally creating content every single day that millions of people see. But but there's there's a lot more to the conservative cultural movement than the podcasters, the talking heads, the political strategists, all of that. It it actually really behooves the ordinary American to step into this space because only you. Um, who, who is not living in D.C., who is not living in New York, who is not living in Miami, who is not living in, in, in these big cities, can talk about the experiences that you're having in your states, in your counties, in your towns, in your villages, in your, you know, I don't care whether you live in a, in a, in a relatively new suburban district, whether you live in, in, a, in, you know, in the desert. If you're not putting pen to paper and memorializing the experiences that you're having, then why do you suppose that anybody will do that for you, right? And, and here's the thing. A lot of those people were not great writers. They were not great thinkers. But what they were able to do is observe the world around them and just write enough down so that somebody somewhere could pick over it at some point in the future and go, oh, this is what was going on in these areas. It wasn't all Biden. It wasn't all LGBT. And it wasn't all this. We need historians to be able to see that stuff. And it is, it is completely, completely on the shoulders of ordinary Americans to make sure that that stuff stays in the historical record. The, 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 the second part of this is, um, we, you talked about the, the, the in, somebody's values is going to be in the classroom, right? And, and that, and that so-called that fake neutral space well that fake neutral space comes from comes from secularism it comes from science and it comes from the expert class the expert class that we all know um were the people behind covid were the people saying that there'll be a third world war if if you know britain leaves the european union they're all saying that donald trump would would you know accidentally press the nuclear button instead of the diet coke button um these are the people who who need challenging and uh, we should you know the you know the chad meme 
where it's just, you know, the guy and he just says, you know, yes, that's it, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, when the left accuses us of, oh, well, you just want your philosophy in the classrooms, yes. Oh, you just want, you know, uh, anti-abortion measures, yes. (laughs) You just don't want me, you know, a man dressed up in a skirt going into the girls' locker room, yes. You know, those are the answers. It's We don't have to equivocate about these things, and we spend too much time equivocating. We want to be liked too much. Forget about it. We're not going to be liked by the other side. You're going to be liked by your own side. Um, I think, personally, that I'm going to use 2023 to write more than I've ever written before because there are so many things going on out there. I am going to do a tour of the United States and, and document in documentary format what is going on out there in the real United States um, because very few people are telling the stories uh, of ordinary Americans. And I think these are the times especially that those stories need to be told. Um, and, 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 you know, history is not written by the victors. History is written by those who bother to write it. So let's write it. Raheem Kassam, everybody, check out the Raheem Kassam podcast and also go to the National Pulse and keep an eye out for all these projects that he's talking about. Raheem, you're promising some cool stuff. The people are going to be looking for it. So thank you, my friend, for uh, for coming and hanging out. And uh, we'll have to do like a podcast after dark session at some point with some booze, some lifestyle tips. What's the one? What is the one thing, Raheem, that the American that American men listening to this if you could get them to either do more of or less of one thing, what would it be? Well, you know, every year is dry January for me, and it's it's a real it's a it's a hardship for thirty one days, um, and I'm going through that. It's the tail end of it right now. I'm going through it, but um, you know, for me, I've I've undertaken a lot of different things in in the last couple of years. I was I was about forty pounds heavier, um, not but twenty four months ago. Um, I've, I've lost all that weight. I've changed a lot of the things in my life. Um, honestly, the things that's, that's made the, the, the world of difference to me, uh, from a, from a physical perspective is deadlifting, running and the Stairmaster, <laughs> quite frankly, that is sort of shed all of the weight for me. And the other part of it for me is, um, you know, I very much switched. I used to be a seven, eight, nine pints of beer a night kind of guy, you know, no dinner. It was just beer for me. And I very much switched that out um, for martinis. A, a little bit more sophisticated, um, a little, you can you can drink fewer of them and still, you know, have that little buzz. Um, I actually think they are um, far better a, a, a measure of a man than a, than a, than a Coors Light as well. Um, and then the other thing is ignore the advice from the nutrition experts who are trying to get you to eat crickets and all of that nonsense. The best breakfast you can have is steak and eggs. Um, and, and frankly, the best every meal you can have is steak and eggs. So get on that trade. Actually, totally agree. So there you go, everybody. Raheem, my friend, thanks for being with us. Thanks for giving us your time, and uh, we'll have you back soon. Cheers. Thank you, Puck. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiance who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 
America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us.